I think food, food is culture mm-hmm. and cultures adapt and change over time. And a big thing of that is influence of whether, you know, if a country is being occupied or people are fleeing their homeland or people are just moving, the one thing that they bring with them is food because it's a one sense of culture along with, for example, music that you can bring with you and have a sense of home wherever you are. Hey guys, it's your girl Nakama, your favorite Jew from the Lou. Welcome back to my podcast. So today, we're really lucky. We have a friend of mine, Ben Vecino. Welcome. Thank you. And so I like to do a little intro in the beginning of each episode. And even though most of my guests aren't celebrities, I like to give them a little celebrity intro. So I usually ask them for like fun facts, a little cute blurb or whatever. But when I asked Ben, he just said, I'm a regular ass guy. So that's actually perfect because this is what this is about. We are similar to like the concept of Humans of New York. Just chilling, talking, and getting to know people. Mm-hmm. It's the podcast of the people. Love it. Yeah. So welcome. Have you done a podcast before? Or am I your very first podcast? No, we are popping my podcast cherry. Oh, love it. Okay. Starting off strong. <laughs> so we actually found out a fun fact about Ben. He and I started schmoozing and he told me that he was an honorary Jew. I was like, oh, are you now? How fun. Emphasis on honorary. Right. So I was like, what makes you an honorary Jew? Well, my grandmother Mm -hmm. on my mother's side is Jewish. She was raised Jewish. So as I understand, that makes my mother Jewish, Mm -hmm. which would then make me Jewish. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? That is correct. Which means he's not an honorary Jew. He is, in fact, just a legit straight up Jew. I, I hold on to the honorary title because I'm not practicing. Well, you don't need and, to. Well, I, I don't feel comfortable infringing on people that practice as beliefs when it's not something that I necessarily practice myself. It's very respectful of you. But I do appreciate Jewish culture mm-hmm. and I love the food as well. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about because once he told me that he had this like Jewish heritage, obviously the main thing that you're going to have to try is challah. Mm-hmm. And... I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you've never had challah that was homemade. No, never. Before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then it was, we couldn't just do it regular. We had to give him a challenge because that makes it so much more <laughs> interesting. So my mom and I are very competitive and we both make awesome challah. I'm not going to lie, my mom is just fire. Like I can't even deny it. It's so good. Um, and then obviously when you don't have to make food, it just tastes so much better when someone else makes it for you. Mm. So you had my mom's two weeks ago. Yes. You had mine earlier this week. Mm-hmm. I had a slice of yours this morning. You did? I did. Okay. It was still good? Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's still actually really soft. Well, good. Yeah. Uh, they were both delicious. Okay. And please don't make me pick a favorite. Please pick a favorite. I... <laughs> And not just because I'm on your podcast, I might have to say it's yours. The difference, I mean, I noticed a difference between the two of them. Yeah. Well, your mother's is a little sweeter mm-hmm. and yours is, like you said, a little more buttery, but a little richer. Yep. Um, I also noticed your mom's is a little, uh, yours is a little denser mm-hmm. in in a good way. And I liked that um, compared to your mom's. Your mom's is a little more delicate. It's like fluffy, very yeah. light. Um, so I, yeah, it's, I, I can't pick if I'm on your podcast, I'm going to say yours, but mm. no, I ne- necessarily couldn't pick like one that I like the like best. Kissing up a little bit. That's okay. I we're, we're, that. we're starting this off 
on a nice note. How about that? I love that. Okay. Well, if anyone wants, let me know, leave a message and I will maybe post the recipe. It's not mine. I got it from someone else. So it's not like I own it or anything, but there's something about challah that's like absolutely magical. I can't explain it. But like, let's say my mom's recipe, for example, if I follow her recipe, I'm in her kitchen. She's literally over my shoulder following the exact ingredients. There's no way that ours will taste the same. I don't know why. Is there so there is there a reason or is it just magic. is that just the extra touch? It's that, magic. Yeah. It's magic. So Something do you guys do you guys use the same recipe or were the those two different? Well, recipes? I refuse to use her recipe because it really pisses me off that mine doesn't taste like hers. So I'm like, absolutely not. I'm just gonna pick a different recipe. Yeah, but it's just the recipe. Once mm -hmm. you make it, yours tastes like yours. That's true. Mm -hmm. But I don't like feeling like I'm second place. Well, there's no such thing as second place. It's just two different variations of the same. Same thing, the same good. Mm. Okay. You're being very diplomatic, which I appreciate. I mean, I think that anybody can tr anybody can cook. Anybody can put their impression on a recipe. And I think that's what makes it so special. And that's what makes food so special is that when you put a little bit of yourself into the food, it's going to automatically distinguish it from somebody else's without changing any of the recipe or realistically any of the cooking times it's the actual fact that your hands are in the food versus somebody else's and you're leaving a different imprint than that and then theirs yeah i agree it's just really cool because it's like a tradition that's like passed down from like mother to daughter mm -hmm. through generations i'm not saying that guys don't make challah i'm sure they do but it definitely like with the judaism is definitely more of like a feminine tradition and just really special time like st louis um i live in U city also known as Jew City. And my grandmother back in the day, like there was a lot of women who just didn't make challah. And so like part of Shabbos, like, you know, starting Friday night through the end of Saturday, we celebrate like the Sabbath and like it's just the day of rest. And it's the day of good food and family and just chilling. And it's literally the best. And so my grandmother used to make like hundreds of challahs for women in the community. Wow. And then they would come to her house and they would gossip and chit chat while they picked up their challahs. So my grandmother knew everything about everyone, which meant that I got to know everything about everyone, which was awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It, it's very similar. kind of reminds me of Italian culture, mm -hmm. where as opposed to Saturday, it's Sunday being mm -hmm. the Lord's Day. Mm -hmm. But the Italians will spend all Sunday making Sunday dinner, making a Sunday sauce, Sunday gravy that everyone's going to come together and eat that together on Sunday night, just as you're all going to come together on have Saturday you night. Follow the page on Instagram or they have a podcast as well, Growing Up Italian. No, I haven't. It's, mm -hmm. it, they say Italians just don't get enough love. So they have like a whole page about it. And I went to Italy last year for my 26th birthday. And so I just totally fell in love with like the Italian culture and mm -hmm. food. And I think I must have been Italian in a previous life. That's what it feels like. But you're really the blend of both worlds because you have the Jewish heritage, but you also have the Italian heritage. Mm -hmm. Well, to correct you, Sicilian heritage. Oh, I'm so sorry. So my great-grandfather immigrated from Bergio, Sicily. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, we actually went to Sicily last summer as a family to reconnect with our Italian heritage and our Italian cousins and aunts and uncles and you know, ate food with them and traveled around watched cheese get made in a farmhouse and that kind of thing. So it was very interesting to get kind of back to those roots. Yeah. Um, but also seeing how food plays a part in every activity that we did with our Sicilian cousins. It was 
always centered around food. Oh, you had cousins there mm -hmm. who still live there. Yeah. So my dad went when he was my age. He studied abroad when he was in school. Mm -hmm. And then he went back and my grandpa and uncle went with him to Sicily to meet the cousins. So my dad's generation, there's about three or four of his generation um, brothers over there and their children about my age. So it was kind of a match of generations where my grandpa and his cousins and my dad and uncle and their cousins, and then me and my cousins, and kind of all those similar generations around one food or one table, all eating the same food and yeah. connecting in that way. Those are the best memories like ever. My, uh, my grandmother just passed away this past um, October, and my grandfather passed away when I was 19. And I just remember when I was little and they were both alive, like just generations of like being around the same table. Mm -hmm. Like I just felt so safe no matter what was going on in the world. Like having my family around me was everything. And so like now people are all scattered. Like I have cousins and my brothers. Like nobody lives together really in the same city. I do still have a lot of family here, but it's it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. And like I still have that memory of what was, but I just think about like my kids and like they're not going to have that same multi-generational upbringing, which I think is really sad. It is sad, but it kind of gives you the ability to take what you appreciated from your childhood and try to keep that going with your kids, but also make sure that, you know, you can continue that interconnectedness through generations. You might not have the same, everybody at the same table, but they were all at that table once, you know, and that table lives on, if you will. It might not be the same table, but it's the family table. That's true. And mm -hmm. food can be the way that we can keep it on. And like bringing all those recipes from like different generations together mm -hmm. is a way to like keep on the yeah. traditions. Some of my earliest memories with my grandpa are standing around the kitchen table making lasagna, making meatballs. Homemade? Like Homemade, yeah. And the noodles? Mm -hmm. Well, not the noodles. Okay. We're not, we're not that ambitious. All right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, everything from scratch and then we'd freeze it and keep it and then take it out when we needed it. And we'd take it on trips so that when we'd be with our friends on like a ski trip, we could pull our lasagna out of the fridge, out of the freezer and have that together with everybody. Like extend that piece of our family to, to others. That's really sweet. Mm -hmm. So we're going to jump right into our first conversation that I'm so curious about. You mentioned it to me like months ago and I on purpose didn't ask you more because I wanted my reaction to be like authentic for this conversation right here and now. Mm -hmm. So... You mentioned that like you, we obviously both love food and then you're a history buff. And so you talked about how like, depending, I'm going to briefly say it and then you can like correct me about how depending on like what countries conquered other countries, it affected the food and the culture. Mm -hmm. And you should just know that like you said, people don't want to hear you talk about that. You said you never really had a platform to do it. This is your moment. And you should also know that like, all the people who I've told about this episode, they're like, hell yeah, I'm so in. This is going to be the best episode you've ever done. No pressure. A lot taken. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of what we're like on the, along those lines, I think food, food is culture mm -hmm. and cultures adapt and change over time. And a big thing of that is influence of whether, you know, if a country is being occupied or people are fleeing their homeland or people are just moving, the one thing that they bring with them is food because it's a one sense of culture along with, for example, music that you can bring with you and have a sense of home wherever you are. So if you have to flee your homeland, if you can come together with your family, make a meal together, 
that's a semblance of home wherever you are. So in that sense, um, you have people and colonialism is a perfect example of this where countries are taking over as much as they can in the world. And they're kind of leaving imprints wherever they're at and they're taking things with them as they go. For example, pistachios, which is everywhere now. Mm -hmm. It's huge in Italian culture and Italian food, especially in Sicilian culture, Middle Eastern culture and foods all over. But pistachios themselves were originated in like Iran and Afghanistan, but they're all over Italy and Europe. It's because mm -hmm. the Romans conquered Iran, Afghanistan, Central Asia, and brought that back to Europe with them. And now so much time has passed, we think pistachios are Italian, a Sicilian thing because it's so popular there. But no, it's yeah. it was taken from somewhere else and brought back. And that's actually the majority of fruits and vegetables that we eat today were originated somewhere else. And in the turn of the century, the United States government actually hired a handful of people to go out and search for those different foods and search for new generate or types of vegetables and fruits and bring them back, expanding the United States agriculture. I didn't know that. For example, Meyer lemons, mm -hmm. that's actually originated from China and was discovered by a guy whose last name was Meyer. Okay. Actually, until I went to Italy, I didn't know this, but apparently there's different kinds of lemons that are used for different things. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I wasn't cultured enough in food to know that. It's more of like, all I really knew was food is good or it's not. I can read, I can follow a recipe, I can cook, you know? Um, I did come across the other day going back to like the topic of pistachios, like so gelato, there was this woman talking about like how do you know which flavors are authentic versus like commercial gelato flavors. I think I saw that same video. Did you? Yeah. I feel like there, whenever I talk about like TikToks that I've seen, everyone's like, oh, I saw it too. So I'm like the algorithm must just be having like those <laughs> ones like up. It'd actually be interesting if maybe we can do like a B-roll like right here and then just show that for a second, see if we could find it. But um, pistachio gelato, like you would think it would be green, right? Because like when you get any like pistachio flavored ice cream mm -hmm. in a, like Ben and Jerry's, let's say, it's going to be green. But like authentic gelato, it's not. It's going to just be like a cream color, which if you actually think about the actual nut, that makes sense. Yeah. It's if you take artificial. like if gelato is made with milk mm -hmm. compared to ice cream, which is made with cream. Mm -hmm. So yeah, imagine if you took pistachios which is like a dull earthy color and mix it with milk it's not going to be a vibrant bright green right so yeah it's interesting though how in that kind of sense things are mass produced and you kind of lose the sense of what it really is and what it should be and where it came from yeah. on a mass produced level and we can get it i mean that gets us all into flavor and flavor theory which is a whole nother topic right but that's I think that's the issue with mass producing food kind of it's the opposite from what we were talking about of somebody making food for their family or making food at home you're mass producing it it's purely sustenance at that point you might be able to mass produce things that you know a quick easy meal where i can heat up some pasta in the microwave and have that idea of an italian dinner mm -hmm. but in reality it's not the same it's that mass produced yeah. aspect that cuts out that human touch like we were talking about earlier. Right. And then also like a lot of actual like Italian food that people think that they're eating isn't actually authentic to the Italian culture at all. It's more mm -hmm. about like 
America has like commercialized this concept and like just gone with it, but it's not authentic at all. And that took me by so like a lot by surprise when I went there. Um, I did get teased a lot by my friends because I love sushi. Mm -hmm. And so obviously like we're in St. Louis, Missouri. If you're having sushi here, you're not really anywhere close to any fresh water. So it's not going to be like the best. Um, But I had sushi in Italy, which might sound funny because it's like there's all this Italian food, but it was my birthday and I don't care. I wanted sushi. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was the best sushi I've ever had. Because they have access to fresh ingredients. Yeah. Um, one of the next guests I'm going to be having on my podcast, hopefully all should be well. She's, um, a woman who I used to visit when I was in high school. And at the time she was 89 and this coming November, she's going to be a hundred. Wow. Yeah. Pretty incredible. And her dad actually was a professor of soil. Interesting. I'm I'm sure it's a more professional term than that. That's just what (laughs) we're going to say because that's all my brain can remember at the moment. But he would study the soil and figure out like why our agriculture was the way it was, how to produce the best fruits and vegetables that you can. Mm-hmm. But I mean, also, I think like there's so many things wrong with like food in the U.S., like so many. But part of it is also that like, let's say any fruit or vegetable, you should not be able to get all year long. You just shouldn't. Exactly. I mean, that's, yeah, access to fresh ingredients. Mm-hmm. And the United States has such act, like we have the closest access out of anybody else. I mean, we can find produce on our shelves. It's relatively fresh year round. Mm-hmm. But to your point, doesn't mean you should. You should be able, it, right. We should eat local. We should eat fresh, organic, homegrown things that are in season, especially if you want the real flavor. You want the taste. A tomato coming from Uruguay in January is not going to be the same as a tomato grown 100 feet away in July in St. Louis. Right. So, But also... If you have food all the time, like if you notice, say strawberries, strawberries are the best in the summer, but then the winter they're kind of like shriveled and small. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you have food out of season, it has a lot of like hormones and like chemicals in it too. So it's not authentic fruit, even though you think you're being healthy. I mean, you can even extend that to meat and poultry as well. Mm, yeah. The, you know, the entire agricultural business is built up on how large can we make it in the shortest amount of time? So they want to grow corn as large and as quick as possible. They want to grow chickens as big and as quick as possible with the biggest breast possible. So it has the highest meat, gets the biggest price. I mean, if you look at a chicken today that's mass produced from, for example, Purdue Farms versus um, a roaster chicken from 100 years ago, the roaster is going to be about this big and the Purdue Farms chicken is going to be about this big. It's going to be three times the size. And it's the same chicken. Well, it's, I mean, it's a different strain type of chicken, but they're producing things to grow quicker and faster and larger. So that meat is just filled with water and hormones mm. as opposed to probably one with just flavor. It's so gross when you actually like think too hard about it. And then I also heard that you're not just like what you eat, but you are what you eat eats. You are, yeah, you are your food's food. Right. Yeah. A much better way to say it. I'm gonna start saying it like that from now on. But that's true. I mean, yeah, you eat a chicken that's essentially ate crap its entire life. The chicken's not gonna be any better than what it's eating. Mm-hmm. So that's I mean, that's the biggest difference is that again, back to the mass-produced aspect idea that 
it's all for profit and less for the actual product. I don't know. That's crazy to me. But um, back to talking about how like when people sometimes, whether it's like on their own or maybe they're forced to leave a country, they'll take the food with them. So like I think if any if you want to call us a culture, if any culture, religion, group of people has gone through that, like Jewish people have been kicked out of so many countries mm-hmm. so often that like, it's so interesting to me when people like ask, like, what's your, what's, what's like a Jewish food? And it's like, other than the stereotypical, like breakfast, bagels, lox and cream cheese, or maybe saying challah, like so much of our food, like there is so much goodness that we have, but we just kind of take the best of every culture that we've been in and we've just created Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. So, like for example, um, a lot of like Israelis, and I'm sure this comes from a lot of like Arabic culture. Like when we have challah on Shabbos, we'll mix it in with like different um, different toppings. So there'll be like baba ganoush, which is like an eggplant dip, or matzbucha, which is like this like spicy tomato dip. And honestly, like you can literally just have a meal with like challah and a bunch of dips. The best thing ever. I'm a huge dip fan. Mm-hmm. I love dips. And yeah, it's, but it's, it's the little taste, the little flavors that gives you a full meal, gives you kind of a, a sense of different places that they've come from, if you will. Right. It is interesting to me how like certain people just, I've, I've had friends who've gone to Italy. We're going to just go back to that. Cause I think that's just like a big food country and people think of, um, and they complained that the food wasn't American enough. Like they're like, I couldn't get ketchup anywhere. You're not allowed back. Literally. If you go to Italy and ask for ketchup, <laughs> don't fucking come back. But it's so silly. It's like you can you're not in America. Like the whole point is to travel and to like get culture. So I don't understand why people care. You know, like it's wherever you are, try to acclimate. Because I remember even before I went to Italy, I did research how to not be like an obnoxious American tourist. Mm-hmm. I had to try to like blend in. So even in terms of like fashion and what to wear. I looked that up ahead of time just so that I could be respectful because if I'm walking into a culture, I want to make sure, you know, I know the, the way of the people. Yeah, absolutely. But I, and I have found too, though, that we'll always be picked out as Americans. Well, yeah, I had blonde hair in Italy. like. And I'm a tall guy with broad shoulders. Most Europeans are small and skinny. Right. So, for example, I studied abroad in France when I was in school. Did you really? I did. That's so cool. And one of my friends who was Parisian... I was like, how how do I look? Do I look French? I bought this outfit today. She's like, no, you look American. Mm. I'm like, why? She's like, you're tall, your beard, your side. Like she just went on and on. It's like, no matter what you're going to do, you're going to still stand out. But it's the way you approach their culture and approach the differences is what they notice and what they appreciate. So I'm obviously an American. There's nothing I can really do to hide it. But if I come in being that American, they don't like that because it's I'm kind of I don't care about your culture in that sense. Mm -hmm. But if I come in open, accepting, wanting to learn, wanting to broaden my horizons, they're very happy. Most people are very happy to show you their way of life, what they do, what they see, what they like, and that kind of thing, as long as you're open. I have to ask because I'm so curious. Um, Mm -hmm. It's on my list actually is to go to France, specifically Paris. Mm -hmm. Such a cliche. I know. But it looks so beautiful. Um, I actually... On my way to Italy, I paused, like my 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 stopover was in Paris. It was really brief. But I remember like 
as we were landing, I saw the Eiffel Tower. I started crying because I'm like, oh my God, it's real, (laughs) which I know sounds super ignorant. But it's like, there's such a difference when you actually get to see all these places that you just read about or saw in movies. To experience it for yourself is, I don't know, it's just a totally different feeling. Did you go into the city? I didn't leave the airport. How much time did you have? None. I literally was running to my plane. So like not enough. I was going to say you could, if you had two and a half hours, you could get to the Eiffel Tower and back to the airport. Really? Yes. Charles de Gaulle and Orly's probably 45 minutes to an hour by train. Go straight there. I'd actually say go to the Arc de Triomphe Mm. because then you can act when you get to the top, you can actually see the Eiffel Tower. Mm. So I, my point or my thought is that's the best view because you can actually see the tower. Um, But no, so I studied abroad in Paris. So you were in Paris. Was this high school or college? This college. Okay. Yeah. So I spent- For a semester? Four months, three months. Okay. And did you have like a few different countries that you can choose from or- No. So I picked picked Paris. Mm -hmm. So my mom studied abroad in Paris and I had taken French all throughout high school and into college. I was actually going to be a French minor, but dropped it the last minute because didn't want to do it. Okay. Um, Fair. But I studied abroad in Paris because I really loved it. I thought it would be a great place to go. Mm-hmm. I loved the food. I loved the culture, the wine. Everything was a step back, a pace slower. So okay. I really tried to just immerse myself in the culture. Mm-hmm. Because I was there for so long, I didn't feel like I had to go see everything. So I could just take things as I saw them. If I have time or if I'm to be nearby something that I want to see, I'd go see it. But just try to take things at their pace and really immerse myself. So as you said, like when you go to other countries, they don't appreciate when you are just rude and abrupt. So a lot of people have said about Parisians that like they're pretty rude if you're not French and like they, especially Americans, like they hate Americans. Mm -hmm. Was that your experience? Uh, I'd say no. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously you're going to see people that are mad at the world. Right. And then therefore mad at you for no goddamn reason. Okay. But if you appreciate their culture, if you go in and you want to talk to them or you try to speak French to them and you really make an earnest effort, they notice that and they appreciate that. You're not coming into a cafe and where's my ketchup? Mm-hmm. want my ketchup. This guy, get out of here. Mm-hmm. So I actually had somebody ask me, they thought, oh, they thought I wasn't a student because I was buying bread. And I, it was the one line I knew so well that I could just rattle it off. And she's like, oh, are you? Say the line. Oh, I don't know it anymore. No, that's not fair. Okay, fine. Continue. <laughs> it's, it's a podcast about food, not language. All right. All right. Fine. To be fair, I did not prep him. I had no idea we were going on this tangent. I didn't know this fun fact about him. We're just going with the flow. But I guess also, I mean, to that, it's like when I travel, I like to be more of an observer. Okay. I don't necessarily like to put myself into the mix. I like to kind of watch and yeah. see and let their culture unfold in front of me. I also like to try to eat regionally, drink regionally. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're traveling throughout Italy or throughout France, you're going to be in a different wine region in almost every city. Right. So you want to try the different wines. You want to try, see what makes them different, as well as trying the foods that they created with those wines in mind. And everything kind of plays together. The foods, the cheeses, the wines, the meats, it's all very regional there and very specific, which... I think it's very important. And they've actually, they agree to that too. I mean, not that it's my idea, but they they create throughout Europe, these different organizations that control territories and food and wine and drink that comes from those territories. So for example, if you're buying French wine, 
you better bottles will have a little blue ribbon at the top that says DOCG. So that's d'origine contre protégé, meaning like the origin is what it says it is. You're buying a Merlot, it's coming from the Merlot region. You're buying Bordeaux, it's coming from Bordeaux, as opposed to somebody just slapping a label on there. And they do the same with cheese, they do the same with bread. Italy has similar things. It's, it's a way to keep those regional identities very protected and very sacred. That's why you don't see champagne coming from Oregon. It's sparkling wine. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I there's something about traveling which, you know, always looked so interesting. And when I finally got the opportunity to do it, I told myself that so I turned I did it for my 26th birthday. And I feel like 26 is usually the birthday that people start to say, well, it's all downhill from here. Like you're off your parents' health insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a to... scary moment. Yeah. So I never, my parents didn't have health insurance um, for me. So I never really had that mm-hmm. moment. Turning 26 was just turning 26. But I um, I was like, let's do something fun. So each year as I get older, instead of being like, oh, I'm older and like maybe being feeling pressure to be in a certain place in my life by whatever age, I was like, I'm going to plan a trip every single birthday. And this way, instead of being like, oh, I'm getting older, it's like, where am I going this year? What's my experience? And mm-hmm. then I could plan it. And um, so 26 was Italy. And then I realized that traveling is really expensive. So it's been a minute. But actually for my – actually this worked out perfectly because this wasn't the plan, but this is this is God's plan. This mm-hmm. was supposed to happen. I'm 27. My next birthday, April 3rd, I'm going to be turning 28. And my best friend is getting married in Israel. Oh, wow. So it looks like I'm going to Israel. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Where? One. Where? Where Specific- in Israel? Yeah. It's a great question. I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> All I heard was she actually before she even got proposed to, she kind of had an idea that she was going to get engaged. And she didn't know when, though. And mm. she asked me, she was like, will you come to my uh, wedding? And before she could even like really finish the sentence, I was just like, yes. I've never answered something so fast in my whole life. I was like, your wedding, Israel, like say less, I'll be there. I'm so excited. But maybe, maybe I'll do like, I'll make my ticket so it like stops at Paris or something. And this way I can get a little, yeah, little taste. Now is your friend from Israel? No, but her fiance is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I assume he's got quite a bit of family over there. All of his family's over there, which I think is really hard for him, you know, and I think eventually one day he'd love to move back. Mm-hmm. But for now, they're here. And I'm grateful for that because, you know, it's not very often that you have like a friend from childhood that stays like into your adult stages. And also like I've changed so much in terms of like I grew up super Orthodox and very religious and like Starting when I was 23, I stopped being as religious and it was a slow but intentional journey. And uh, we've had a lot of similar things happen to us in our lives, which is really cool to have in a friend. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, then you guys can kind of lean on each other mm-hmm. for those experiences. Right. If they're not exactly the same, but they're enough that it's like relatable. And there's a difference between telling someone your story and then looking at someone and be like, no, I get it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 
So my grandmother used to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so before we move on to the next topic, is there anything else since this is your moment to say what you want to say about food? Well, I think maybe to close it almost. It's I think I think food food is culture. Mm -hmm. Without food, you don't have culture. Without humans are all animals kind of have a culture, but humans truly created culture themselves with food and music, community. And I think that all stems from food. The idea of gathering around a table to eat together, that's a very human thing. No other species in this world cooks their food. We're the only people that take our food, cook it, and then sit around a table together and eat it. And I think that's an idea that is just very beautiful, something that brings people together, something that's above us. I think that's, that's why I get hungry all day, every day. Mm -hmm. I know. And Ben is our foodie at work. We, uh, whenever we need a place to go, you're our person who we're just like, we should ask Ben. Ben's going to know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll have to try a new place this week. Okay. Let me know. Okay. There's actually, eventually it's going to open up. I don't know if it opens up yet, but uh, Brendan said that there's like a Nigerian restaurant opening up. There is. Yeah. I think it was, he was working with them at downtown. I think they just opened up on uh, They're open. Washington Avenue. Yeah. Okay. Done. Sure. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> just have to figure out if it's not too far from work. Anyone who's going to be listening from the first episode on, there's, you're not going to just get to know me. It's really more about my guest, but there's going to be little sprinkles of what I like to call Nahamaisms. And so fun facts. Uh, my favorite cartoon from when I was a kid was Scooby-Doo. Like obsessed. Obsessed with Scooby-Doo. Um, unfortunately, I don't have Shaggy's metabolism. I discovered that early on. I think he had performance-enhancing drugs. Mm. Emphasis on the drugs. And he also is a cartoon character. That's irregardless. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's definitely like – such a perfect segue because we started off our podcast talking about food. Scooby-Doo is all about food, but it's also about mystery. And so I want to transition into conspiracy theories because everyone loves conspiracy theories. Some people, mm -hmm. it's more of like a fun, oh, I wonder if this is really the case. And some people are like diehard conspiracy theory addicts. Like they have all the facts. They've, they've like made all the connections. Here's the proof. I'm not one of those people. I'm more of a, oh, isn't it fun and interesting? And so um, I actually had to do some research before our podcast to make sure that I knew what I was talking about so that I can carry my half of the conversation. <laughs> um, but just to start, I thought something that was really interesting was that there's a difference between like actual conspiracies that have happened. And we can look back at like truly evil groups like terrorists or the mafia or um, like sex trafficking like groups. And we can see like the crimes that they have committed against humanity, right? Mm -hmm. And we have the proof. The conspiracy theory is, is that we might have like really good evidence, but nothing is set in stone. So it's all hearsay and it's just a conversation. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I, well, I, I love conspiracy theories because I think they're just funny. I think they're mm -hmm. fun. These harebrained ideas that people get and then they find all the information to back it up. Mm -hmm. And the more you read their backup and their information, you're like, wow, is that real? Yeah. Is that, did that actually happen? 
I do have a friend who like stayed up one night till like I think two or three a.m. where she found like one girl on TikTok who like was like, "No, Princess Diana is not dead. She's alive and well in Canada." Her whole death was like, she's hanging out with Tupac. Yeah, something. Yeah, which he's not dead. Okay, he's somewhere. Like Elvis. At this point. At this point, Elvis was gone. Mm-hmm. Or as they said in Men in Black, like Elvis just went home. Mm. They said he was an alien. But no, I think the whole Tupac, Machiavelli, all his, those signs, everything. I, don't know. I, just, I like to think that he's still alive. I don't know the evidence necessarily. Some people do, but I just think that's a fun one. Yeah. So then the question is, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? It's another music one. Okay. Paul McCartney mm-hmm. is not Paul McCartney. Okay. Paul McCartney died in the 60s, and the guy who's been Paul McCartney is a stand-in lookalike. Mm. And we might have to put up some B-roll for proof or showings, but like um, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the cover is a funeral. It's entirely set up like a Cajun funeral, and Paul is wearing all black with OPD on his sleeve for officially pronounced dead. Then you go on to like the Abbey Road cover and you can dive all into what they're wearing and the fact that Paul or yeah. So John is in white the preacher. You have Ringo in black, the young undertaker. You have Paul as the corpse barefoot and you have George in blue as the grave digger bringing up the rear. You also have him smoking a cigarette with his right hand and everybody knew that he was a left-handed person. Mm. So there's that. And then you can, can you switch hands if you're? Smoking? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can switch hands, but you have your hand. I, yeah, I feel like typically you probably, if you're right-handed, I'm. You probably go to your right hand, I guess. Okay. But I mean, then you can go on to their songs, Revolution Nine, the whole backwards, like turn, playing it backwards. Turn me on, dead man. It's a little ambiguous, but could be with all the other other points. Would play right into that. And then Strawberry Fields Forever. If you listen to the entire thing, the very end, the beat slows way down and it goes, I buried Paul. That's really creepy. Yeah. Okay. Um, Did someone explain this conspiracy theory to you or is this something that you've put together? No, I didn't put this together. (laughs) I, I heard it and then I, like your friend, went into a total rabbit hole, deep end way into the night watching YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. All that. And now you're like, this is my and I'm convinced. theory that I like. We'll stick to as my favorite one. Yeah. If I ever run into Paul McCartney, I'd be like, you're not him. You're okay. not the guy. I am a little embarrassed to say my last episode I had my coach on and I mentioned about like the first man who like landed on the moon and he was like, allegedly. And I at the time kind of just breezed past it because I didn't realize there was a conspiracy theory about that. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, well. Yeah, the fake the moon landing. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen. I live in a pink bubble and I'm very happy in here. Um, It protects me from negativity, but it also means I'm pretty naive. And there's just like things that I don't know about, which is why like uh, a lot of my friends love talking to me because like whenever they bring up cultural references or tell jokes, 
from like actual real comedians, I'll just be like laughing so hard and think that they're the funniest human beings. They're like, it's not my joke. Mm. But I love that you think it's mine. Cool. <laughs> well, with the moon, I mean, there's even more conspiracies with that too, besides just well, one, if you believe that they went, then it's like, why have they not gone back? You had a handful of successful missions in the 60s to go to the moon. Why have we not gone back? Why have we not seen gone and explored the dark side of the moon, the back side? What's there? Or did they go up there and find something and are trying to fight it? Mm. So I don't know. But then I'd, there's always a conspiracy. There's always a bigger conspiracy. Like a conspiracy on the conspiracy. Yeah. It's like I saw something that was like, you know, you hate talking to somebody who's like one of the real conspiracy guys because you say, hey, you know, I don't believe that the moon landing was real. And they'll respond with like, oh, so you believe in the moon? Oh, okay. So like it's it, – there's always another level of like, oh, I don't believe in the – the moon's fake for X, Y, Z or flat earth shit or the uh, – it just keeps going. Like people come up with the dumbest ideas and then they just go to the internet and pack it up. So I actually went on a different deep dive when I was looking into conspiracy theories last night. Yeah, I procrastinated. I waited till like the night before. <laughs> I was like, let's keep it fresh. Um, it's really interesting to me more than like reading about conspiracy theories. I got more into the psychology of why do people believe in conspiracy theories? You know? Why is that? Why do you – I guess why do people? So – Literally, there are psychology studies like that have been written about this. Mm -hmm. And so like, first of all, to go to the extreme ends, like the people who are like die hard, like die hard, die hard ones, like the ones you were talking about, like, oh, you believe in the moon and like those kinds of people, um, they're, they actually connected with like schizophrenia. Really? Yeah. Like people who just like are just so paranoid. They just can't accept reality for what it is? To a certain degree. You know, I think like as human beings, we tend to try to make connections mm -hmm. and we tend to try to make sense of our world. I think that's how we make sense. Wouldn't right. you say? Like, I feel like you couldn't make sense if you don't have, I guess, an understanding or a... Right. And so sometimes the way, unfortunately, human beings are is we don't necessarily tend to be like drawn towards positive. We tend to be drawn towards negative. And so instead of maybe taking accountability or trying to change the situation we're in, it's much easier to look at a group of people and be like, ah, they're all conspiring against us. It's one big evil plot. Oh, I'm not rich, but those rich people are rich. Well, they must be lizard people. Right. Otherwise, there are people when I just heard about that was then so weird to me. I think those are fun. And the videos of like, you know, Hillary Clinton blinking sideways. Mm. I love those. And it's like, yeah, they there's a video or a clip of everybody in a weird out of context way that you can say, so and so is a I mean lizard. there's no denying that like when you reach that kind of power, whether it's like political celebrity status or just like wealth. I just think you have to go a little crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Because like I remember I heard once that like money, I think the sweet spot was between what, like 80 and maybe 150 grand to 150 grand a year. And one, if you make less, then you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. If you make more, then it's just like it's stupid money. Like you just don't know what to do with it. And that's when people get caught up in stuff. So I'm sure there's like a lot of stuff that we don't know about. 
Um, I would love if we could find the clip. There's this comedian. Don't remember his name. I'm so, so sorry. But if I find the clip, then at least he'll get his recognition. But he was talking about how like he'll meet people and they'll say, yeah, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, period. The end. Not one. And he's like, really? Like (laughs) no conspiracy theories? It was not Kevin Hart. I love Kevin Hart. Um, (laughs) It was, but it was just this guy that was saying like, listen, he's like, in the end of the day, are all of them real? Probably not. But there's no way that there aren't some that have some facts to them because he's like, I'm a dad and I have a son who I'm in charge of. I don't tell him the truth all the time. Mm -hmm. So he's like, imagine if you have governments or like, world leaders you think they're gonna tell the people the truth all the time no i have no time for like if you're sexist or homophobic or if you don't believe in conspiracy theories just don't understand how do you not believe in any conspiracy theories i understand not all of them not most of them, but you don't believe in any conspiracy theory? You just think the government's just batting a thousand and telling us the whole truth? That's a strong stance to take. And again, as I said before, I don't like talking about politics on stage or off stage. I don't like talking about things I don't feel like I'm truly knowledgeable in. But I do know this. Our government is placed in charge of all of its people. I'm a father who's been placed in charge of just one son. And I lie to that nigga all the time. (laughs) They're not, they're gonna hide it for years and then, like all the alien shit, just kind of slip it back into conversation years later. By the way, you know, we. We did have aliens. We did know about them. That blows my mind. I'm like, the thing is, is like, I just think it's very interesting that that's coming about right around the corner from elections. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think media is an entire, it's all a cycle. It's mm-hmm. all planned. It's all timing. When one thing pops up, I feel like there's also something going on in the background they don't want you to know about. There's a puff piece that's taken over all of the news. Maybe that's a conspiracy that when the media comes out with something that's really bright and shiny, maybe there's something dark and dusty behind it that they don't want you to see. Yeah. Makes me kind of sad. I I did survive 27 years in my little pink bubble. But recently, I feel like I've been noticing that there really are just like some really shady stuff going on in the world. Mm -hmm. It makes me really sad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's you start opening up to like all the other shit that's going on going on or going down Hmm. yeah there's some dark shit that people just think they can get away with and they do sometimes they do quite a bit probably more often than not yeah i would say just um i do want to bring up the article that i read though because it's so interesting it was talking about like what can you do to you know obviously when you talk about like conspiracy theories it starts off fun but there's some pretty dark ones. And the next thing you know, it's like doomsday. And there's these evil group of people who run the world. So what's the point? And what's the hope? And the next thing you know, like, especially our generation, like mental health, 
is such a concept that people are like struggling with. So how do you like keep yourself in track? Mm-hmm. So there's a little takeaway in this article. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons like why people believe in conspiracy theories. But I think, you know, sometimes wanting to find reason and also as our generation, I feel like unfortunately moves away from like organized religion and faith, people need something to rely on. And so you'll find a lot of people will either want to find like the logical facts or they're going to be like the universe and law of attraction. You know what I mean? Which in itself is. You think it's a conspiracy? No, I was going to say it's a oh, form. It's be like- I mean, it's it's a form of religion. You can get away from organized religion, but if you turn to the universe and a higher power of any kind that you're speaking towards, it's the same idea. But it's also comes back to what we were talking about before of an idea of community, of a grouping of like-minded people that can work through things together because they have a shared identity. Yeah. Well, community is huge. I mean, that's why Facebook groups are so popular because people are searching for like-minded individuals. Mm-hmm. Well, even before Facebook groups, like, for example, I live on the Hill and the mm-hmm. Hill is a very large Italian community. It's been an Italian community for years, generations since the Hill was clay mines and they built the town of the Hill for the workers of those clay mines. And I it, didn't know that. Yeah. So at the bottom of the Hill, there, there's all those clay mines down there on Manchester and by the river down there. And so the workers would work all day at the clay mines, and then they walk back up the hill to their houses, ergo the hill. So that's why it's called it as such. But when the Italians came, they brought their culture with them. They brought their community with them. They set up churches. They set up grocery stores. They set up restaurants, community centers. They brought their sports. They brought soccer and bocce ball. They brought their culture with them because even though they're leaving their homeland, they're not leaving their identity behind. I love that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So this is what this article says. Sorry, um, sorry to steer us away from conspiracies. No, I love that. It's just the conversation. Like there's no rhyme or reason to it. You just flow with whatever you want to talk about. Um, it said with conspiracies, like just to keep your mental health in check, uh, fact check. Mm-hmm. You know, just because someone says something, don't just be like, oh, it must be the way it is. Like, do your own research. Um, we all have smartphones for the most part. Like, it's not hard to start looking things up. Also, practice healthy skepticism. You know, it's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to be like, yeah, okay. You know, have fun with it. Go with it. Don't be like a stick in the mud when you're having conversations with people. But, you know. Don't take everything to heart. You don't have to internalize every conversation you have. Um, Critical thinking. I thought this one was funny. It said diversify your network. If you hang out with people of all beliefs, religions, races, and political parties, we can all learn something from each other. I was like, wow, it's just like my podcast. (laughs) Oh, exactly. But that's, that's, and that itself is, I think, one of the issues with social media is you have the ability to follow whoever you want. Mm-hmm. So more often than not, you're going to follow somebody that you agree with. Mm. Yeah. Somebody who's producing things that you like and want to see more of. You're not going to follow somebody that you don't agree with or an opposite opinion. So now you've essentially curated something, curated a, a brand for yourself that just furthers your previous views. So I think that's why this podcast is so important, learning from other people that you wouldn't have normally talked to that broadens your horizon, broadens your sense of scope 
And I think the most important thing, I mean, obviously we're starting the conversation here on the podcast, but if this is a goal in mind that all the listeners will take away into their own communities, into their own conversations, their own friend groups is the same way that you approach traveling where you kind of like to observe, watch how people are, not impose yourself. Like let's try to be a little less American and obnoxious in that way and just learn to really listen to other people because everyone has Mm -hmm. something to teach you. An idea of selflessness. Mm Mm-hmm. What a concept. What a concept. In today's day and age. Uh, so it wouldn't be an episode without me saying the Hebrew quote from where all this stems from. So you said a little bit of French. Now I get to say a little bit of Hebrew. So the quote is, Ezehu chacham, halomeid mikol adam, which means one who is wise is one who learns from everyone. So I like to ask each of my guests if they can share something, whether it's a quote or a life lesson, something that was like impactful for you that you want to share with all the listeners. Ho bisogno di mangiare qualcosa. All right now. It's Italian for I need to eat something. Ooh. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me. Before we let everybody go, is there anything that you prepared that you didn't get to share that you'd like to share now? Uh, I'm hungry. I'm ready to eat. I have a, a fresh loaf of challah for you before you leave. Fantastic. You're welcome. <laughs> well, thanks for coming. Is there anything that the community can do to help support you? Eat local, eat fresh, not Subway, but eat fresh ingredients, eat mm-hmm. local, spend time in the community, go meet somebody, go have a new conversation with a random person. Love that. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. All right, guys, another week, another podcast episode. Um, I hope you guys have a great week. We're on all the platforms. You can follow us wherever you want to. Obviously, if you want to see the video format, if you haven't, if you're just listening, go back, watch this again. It was a great episode. And like I said, eat local this week. Talk to some new people. Be open-minded. Have a great week. Let's get it. Let's go.